All right, let's see your Bibles. That's my routine. Lift them up. Okay, good. And you can lift up an iPad or an iPhone if that, that works for you. Uh, we, think, we think you need to, um, to carry that with you so that you have some kind of hard copy or electronic copy to follow along, and I think that will help you as we go through today the book of James. You know, the music team tries to coordinate their music with the message for the day, and so they asked me, given that our next two weeks we're talking about money and investments and wealth, what kind of song would you recommend? And I said, well, how about yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away, now I know they're here to stay. They're not going to ask me for recommendations anymore. That was my only shot. For two weeks, I'm, the substitutes have come in for Pastor Steve, for me. Uh, Michael will do his series in Minor Prophets, and I'll be stepping in as Steve is uh, preoccupied with Debbie. To uh, this summer, uh, teach in those slots. We're going to finish in four weeks. The book of James, I know it kind of spins your head because we've done it in three and a half or four years instead of five. Uh, and then by the end of the summer, we will be diving into the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, lest you wonder how long that will take, I'm, I'm involved in a, a blog on that where I'm in week 22, and I've gotten as far as Matthew 6. So we, we may never finish the book of Matthew, but that's okay. If I do my job today... I'm going to see various of you do this. You're going to kind of grab your wallet. Or you're going to grab your purse. And I actually think that's the focus of the scriptures today. To call us up short. Because with money, things go weird. In fact, we'll look in Luke in a minute about someone asking Jesus about, make, your, make my family share share their inheritance with me. When I go to probate court, sometimes we call that greed court because people go weird with money. They go weird and, and it's because of some core issues that we're going to be talking about today. So if I offend you today about your investments, your properties, your wallet, as long as I offend me just as much, I'm okay with that. That's fine. We can do that together. But really, what we're talking about today is stewardship of life, because when you talk about what is put into our lives and opportunity, there are four things that everybody has. We have time, we have money, we have possessions, and we have relationships. And each of those four things are things that we need to be stewards of in a way that make them count for eternity. Our text today and next week, we're really dealing with attitudinal issues today, motives. We're talking about life and the brevity of life. And next week, we take a deep dive into riches. Matthew, I mean, James 5. Uh, and James says... Weep and moan if you're rich. Wow. Not in America. <laughs> um, so for two weeks, we're going to talk about things that really do 
go to the core of a lot of our values. And in America, for the most part, if you work hard, you're going to end up with a fair amount of discretionary money toward the end of your life. You know, when you're young, you've got the most needs and the least money. You feel that as you raise your family. And then as you get older, you've got more money and less needs. So you say, what do I do with it? Well, we're going to talk about that. Um, two notables that, used, that would speak to that issue were the following. Nelson Rockefeller was asked as toward the end of his life, and he was a, a large benefactor of some major institutions, but he also was driven by his wealth. And toward the end of his life, he said, he was asked, you got enough. Why don't you back off? Why don't you slow down? And Nelson said, I'm told, just a little bit more. That drive that says, just a little bit more. Donald Trump, who I love, but I'll resist political comments today, many years before he was a politician, before he got that stage at all, probably 15 years ago, I read a quote by him. I may have even seen it on a, on a video. He said, I've had a lot of money, I've had debt, and I've had no debt. And I'm here to tell you, no debt is better. So, what we're really talking about today is not just money, not just possessions, not just investments, but debt and generosity. So, we should offend everybody in the next two weeks. <laughs> you have a right to know a little bit about me. I won't belabor it. But as a young man in a home with a single parent and three children, we were poor. And I did a lot of the grocery shopping. And I learned as a high schooler that when I went to Piggly Wiggly, and I paid a certain price for 10 pounds of potatoes. It was the same price. But I learned, much to my delight, that some of those bags were 10 and a half pounds. And so if you'd seen me in high school, you'd have seen me putting those bags on a scale to find for the same money where I could get 10 and a half pounds of potatoes. I didn't miss any meals. We didn't eat fancy, but we didn't have any extra. And yet, you get to the point, and life does this to you, where through a combination of the graces of God and the provisions of God, you end up comfortable, if not living beyond your means by the end of your life. And that's the sort of thing that challenges us in the scriptures today. I want you, first of all, not to, do, to, to take to the, turn to the book of James, but I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 12. I'll tell you where we're going in the next two weeks. Today, it's Luke 12. And James 4. Next week, it's Luke 5, excuse me, James 5, and 1 Timothy 6. So today, about money and possessions. Next week, about wealth and inheritances and all that kind of thing. Luke chapter 12, parable of the rich fool. One of my favorites. Beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There's greed court for you. Jesus replied, 
Man, who appointed you a judge or an arbiter? Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That should sear itself into our brain today. I'm often at, well, we'll get into this in a minute. Uh, moving on. And he told them the parable. The ground, of a certain rich, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. We thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. Kind of resonates with me as a farmer. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up. For many years, take life easy, drink, eat, drink, and be merry. Actually, that's out of Ecclesiastes, and that's okay to do, by the way. I just don't say that just because I have a winery. That's okay to do. It's, it's, it's his attitude that was the problem. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. The rich fool made three mistakes. His first mistake was he mistook time for eternity. We're all in time today. Our hearts are beating because God said, give him another day. But this fool said, I'm made. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I've established myself. And Jesus said, no, no, you haven't. He mistook time for eternity. The second mistake he made was he mistook his body for his soul. There's no hearse that pull U-Hauls to funerals. We don't take anything with us, gang. And so everything we have, those four commodities, time, money, possessions, relationships, what are we doing to invest in eternity? third mistake this fool said, this fool made was, he mistook what was his for what was God's. You know, when um, 23 years ago, uh, a group of individuals and myself, a partnership, built a building in Lake Oswego, an office building, and it was successful. And we wrote into the legal documents that at age 65, certainly we're all going to want to retire, so we wrote in the documents, we'll sell it. Well, at age 65, nobody wanted to sell it except one partner, and she pushed it, so we sold it. Sold it for kind of a stupid price, I think more than it was worth. And I went from being an owner to just a tenant in the building. Fast forward two years later, they didn't run the building well, it deteriorated, they said we're going to sell it. And they came to me and said, do you want to buy it back? Okay, now it's not partners, it's just me. What do I do? What do I do as a Christian? What do I do in terms of making investment decisions? Well, the first thing you do is you say, okay, this is God's property, not mine. At most, I'm a steward that would carry it for a few years. What kind of criteria should I use to avoid this rich fool's attitude that says, I've got it. I've got it made. I'll take it easy. I'll disengage from life as I know it. And Jesus said, that's being rich 
toward man and not rich toward God. Okay, turn to James, book of James. We're moving on. In the book of James, this James chapter 4 is not the first time we've talked about rich men and rich people. In fact, I'm going to point you out to three or four verses as we walk through. That's why it's good to have it physically, the Bible in front of you. James chapter 1, verse 11. For the sun rises in scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms fail and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Whoa. Love flowers. A lot of you do. And we may get a week out of them after they're picked. But then they fade and go away. And James, now, not as a pastor, he's in the mode not as a pastor in a section we're in now. He's a, as a prophet. And he's starting to instruct these early churches one year out after the death of Jesus, scattered all over the provinces, that in fact, don't be confused by the rich man. His wealth goes away like the flowers. Chapter 2. Verse 2, I'm sure you remembered this. Remember? <laughs> they were taking the rich men and scooting them up front, and they were taking the slaves, which were 70% of the church, and they were kind of in the back of this upper room. And chapter 2, verse 2 says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and poor man in shabby clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, saying, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? And he goes on to say then, remember, it's the rich people that persecute you. It doesn't even make logical sense to favor them, much less theological sense. Okay, moving on. Chapter 4, verse 3. Are you moving with me? Chapter 4, verse 3. When you ask, that is, when you ask of the Lord... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Does that sound like the rich fool out of Luke 12? It kind of does. Lord, I want this deal to go through because then I'm kind of set. And then the things I've dreamed about wanting to enhance my lifestyle, I'll be able to get. Now, many things in life are not moral issues they're wisdom issues we've been through that a lot in the book of james and i'm here to tell you it's not it's not a sin to have debt it's not a sin to have things the critical issue is what do you do with what you have that's the whole point of the scriptures how can you invest in a way during the period that you have in life to make things count in wealth toward god and in investments in heaven Now we're in James chapter 4 and our text for today. Verse 13. Now listen. Some of your texts say, come now. Okay? That is James as a prophet saying, pay attention. You see it right there? Now listen. You see at the beginning of chapter 5 verse 1? This is big stuff to James who lived with Jesus. This is him saying, this is critical this is a strategic part of your Christian life. Now listen, you say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money, 
Why do you not even know that what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like Luke 12? James, I'm sure, heard this parable in Luke 12 and is pulling up some of the principles here. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, as such boasting is evil. And then he ends the passage with not only a reference to evil, but a reference to sin. Verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. Wham. Right between our eyes. Do you remember the silly little uh, pyramid scheme that I was exposed to in college where in order to motivate me to get involved with them, they said, pretend like there are two barrels of cash on either side of you. Reach in, pull as much cash out as you can, can it, and tell me what you want to buy. Well, that's just a blatant uh, acknowledgement of trying to feed your excesses and your pleasures, and it's absolutely contrary to the life of a Christian. Get what I can so I can have what I have. That's not being rich toward God, flat out. And James makes no bones about the fact that that is incongruent with the Christian life. The reason is not only because it's inconsistent with values of the kingdom, but it's because life is short. I love this verse that says, you are a mist that appears for a little while. Poof. <laughs> Let me test it out with you. What stores do you remember from your youth that are not here now? What? Mervyn's? Uh, remember Farrell's over in, in Lloyd's? Remember that? Woolworth? Yeah? Nordstrom and <laughs> you know my girls shopped at Nordstrom I spoiled them rotten but um, the um, uh, things pass like a mist it's like poof and it's gone now Mark Twain had an attitude about that he said I didn't stand I didn't I didn't attend your funeral but I sent a note telling you that I approve So um, I'm not sure Twain was the most sympathetic person about the facts of life and death. Someone else said, age is something like that relates to mind and matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. That's kind of what happens at the end as you get older. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, my friends, and by the way, parenthetically, the masks, the distancing, all that is off on Wednesday. So all you that are online listening to this, no more excuses. I want to see you back here next Sunday. Next Sunday. I can say that. See, I'm not getting paid to do this. I've, I've got no dog in this fight other than the church body itself. You're coming next Sunday. No masks, no, no distancing. We'll see you. Dave and Debbie, others, I don't know what we're talking about, but we want to see those of you that have been contrary with masks in the past. We want you here. We miss you. And here's the point. Here's the point. Cheryl was right there a month ago. She's with the Lord. Postman Don was right there. And in this last year, we lost him to heaven. 
So, um, Cherie, you, 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 you be careful. Cherie's on the front row here, and I'm, I'm not sure about that front row. Oh, but, but the list goes on. Larry and Nancy McCracken, when they came, they sat right there, right? Um, John Eldridge sat right by that post. British John, my British friend. And Liz, I'm not sure whether you're here today. We love you. We miss John. Dr. Bert Farrell sat right there with his wife, Beth. He's with the Lord. And Beth, bless her heart, I think is in uh, hospice. So that's just a year. And I just named four or five people that we've lost to heaven. We'll see them again. Life is like that. The stores go away. And all of a sudden, you look in the mirror and say, who's that old man? I'm, I'm glad what Dave said, that we've got the old uh, music team up here today. I feel right at home with that. But um, that's what happens in life. Life is a vapor. It goes like that. And James says, don't be ones that carry on business and assume a business plan that doesn't take into account you are short-lived. Now, I've, I've had various loan applications I've been involved in, both with homes that I bought and with that building that I built. We'll call it Galewood, so you know the building I'm talking about. And there's never been a business plan that said, now, in the business plan, have you taken into account that you could die any day? In fact, if I said that to them, they'd say, we're not going to loan you any money. That just makes us nervous. So the assumption is that life goes on, but it doesn't. And so James said, don't say, I'm going to go here for a year and make a profit and then and then add to my accumulations, because what you should say is, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this, and we'll do that. And what these early young Christians were doing, they were braggadocious. They were saying, look at me. Look what I'm accumulating. And I've got this plan now that in a year, I'm even going to be in better shape. And James says, you're a and if you brag like that, that's evil. Really, the, the message from this part of James all through the rest of the book is humility. It really is. Right now, we're in humility before God, saying, God numbers our days, COVID notwithstanding, and he decides when to take us home, and anything that acknowledges a plan other than that is foolishness. It's evil. And by the time we get to chapter 5, humility is extended not only toward God, but toward others. And so you'll see in our last three Sundays in, Hebrew, in James 5, where we talk about how to be humble and walk uh, with others. <clears throat> There's really only a couple things that this passage directs us to do. You know, Proverbs 27 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And that's true. 
So what James is saying here is structure your lives in a way that avoids the foolishness of the rich fool of Luke 12. Don't mistake time for eternity. We're here only briefly, and then we're with the Lord. Don't mistake your body for your soul. That's the critical issues in life. And finally, don't mistake what is yours for what is God's. Those are the messages that Jesus brought to the home of James and James brings to us today. You say, okay, all right, I, I, I think I've got some rethinking to do. And if you and I were sitting down privately and we were looking at your net worth, your investment portfolio, your assets, your accounts, uh, we wouldn't necessarily change the message of anything I'm saying this morning. It would say, what are your goals? One of the bankers uh, that I've been involved with in the past contacted me a few years ago and said, uh, John, I've got some investment recommendations for you. And, and my response back was, I've got more than enough. I want to invest now in a way that counts for eternity, and I started a um, nonprofit that's still in its fledgling stages. But the point is, whatever it takes for you to structure that. I've got a man at the gym that I work out with um, who has just sold for multi-million dollars his business, and he's got it all structured to go into various charities, and interestingly enough, severely limiting what his kids get. And we'll talk about that next week, by the way, in terms of riches and wealth. It, more often than not, is not smart to give your kids a lot of money. It's just not smart. You can believe me or not believe me, I don't care. But a bolus of money to kids that didn't earn, earn it, if they don't have the, their feet under them in a way, more often, as often as not, will blow them up. And we'll talk about that next week. So uh, are you feeling like I'm in your pocket? You should because I'm, I'm in my pocket, too. I've got kids, and I had to structure my own affairs in a way which is intended to do the same thing. So I'm, I'm trying to apply this to myself. So finally, the last verse, it's, it's a verse that we often miss, but verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Wow. Right between the eyes. No mincing words. He said, wrong thinking is evil. Now he says, if you don't do this, you're sinning. What is he talking about? He's talking about two things. If we structure our life and say, without regard to God, without regard to eternity, I'm going to drive my truck through life in a way that maximizes my net worth. That's sin. Anyone that doesn't acknowledge these truths sins. But the other part of verse 17 is this. It says, anyone who knows the good that he needs to do and doesn't do it sins. So there are two gremlins in this verse. One is not acknowledging the truth of time versus eternity. And the second is 
knowing the truth, but saying, uh, forget it. That's just swamp gas. I'm not going to do it. And um, that also is sin. You know, biblical studies, whether you're reading it in your home or whether it's Sunday, involves two things, biblical interpretation, biblical application. Okay, let's go to application. Application number one. How do I need to adjust my life and my plans? Are my plans solid or are they in the outline that is in front of you, are they pretextual? Pretextual means giving a reason that's not really the reason. <laughs> well, I, I'm doing this because I'm doing it for my kids. Well, I, I, eventually, I'm going to structure it in a way that I give it away for the Lord's work without any intention to do that. That's pretextual. We deal with that in the law all the time. It's called excuses. <laughs> and we have to strip those away in a litigation setting in court. That's pretextual. But the other is pretensions. You know what that is? Pretensions are somebody that's pretentious, somebody that's kind of puffed up, self-inflated. And in those kind of settings, again, James would say there's no place in a Christian's life for that. So if you have to adjust the structure and goals of life in a way that does course corrections, that moves your time and money and investments toward things that invest in others and invest in eternity, do it. James says, do it because of the God you know and love. Secondly, we live in America. And here in America, you're going to end up with more money than you need for the most part. You say, well, it doesn't feel like that right now, John. I'm just making it week to week or month to month. And, and there are exceptions to that. But generally, generally, we all end up with more than we need. And that's good. With enthusiasm, use that as an opportunity to think creatively about a way that you can invest for eternity. Don't just leave it in a way that is pro forma what everybody else does. But think in terms of, I mean, I love things like, I mean, I can tell you about some of my charities. I love uh, the Good Samaritan Ministries in Portland. They're a great ministry. I love Children's uh, Evangelism Fellowship. Great ministry with children. But that's just a couple that I'm involved with. You can find your own, but the point is, rethink it in a way that says, I'm not going to make the mistake to think that time is eternity. It's not. Third. With the things that we have, our goal is to be rich toward God. And I think with enthusiasm and gratitude, we can pursue that. And part of this is generosity. Um, I want to I finish our time by focusing not in Luke 12, but in Luke 10. A man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, there's an opening. Jesus said, 
what are the great commandments? First and great commandments. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you spoke well. And then he gave the, of the good, parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, in America, we take love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. I just got a wave from a two-year-old. Um, we take love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind as, okay, that's a given because I'm a follower of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself is kind of permission to love myself. It's not. It's not. That's psychological babble from the 70s and 80s. It really is. We naturally love ourselves. It comes with the flesh. Jesus didn't explain loving your neighbor as yourself. He was then asked, who's my neighbor? Good Samaritan. And here it is. A traveler was traveling. He was wounded. And the clergy walked past him, couldn't get their nose in the air fast enough. And a Samaritan came in, took him in, bound his wounds, took him to, a, to a, uh, an inn, cared for him, and promised to pay additional costs to him. And Jesus said, that's our neighbor. Okay, are you tracking with me? Generosity for Christians is this. Find your neighbor. So who's my neighbor? Here it is. Your neighbor is one whose needs you see and whose needs you can meet. That's it. Saw the need, that wounded traveler, and he could meet the need, and he did it. If you have the means to meet needs, but you haven't seen the need, not yet your neighbor. If you, um, first one is if you have means and you don't see it. If you, if you see a need and you don't have the means to meet that need, not yet your neighbor, but keep an eye on it because when you see needs that you can meet and you have the means to meet those needs, that's your neighbor. That's how you become wealthy toward God. That's how becoming rich in the kingdom of God. Now, I got to tell you, I have a hard time driving past these people in the corner. Everybody says it's a scam, and it's just, this is just a 30-second rabbit trail. I don't know what it is. For the most part, I don't give them money. But now they're saying they're hungry. They've got a dog there. I love dogs. Um, so I just completely put that out of your brain. I, that was just a random thought that I maybe shouldn't have even said. But when you see needs and you have the means to meet the needs, then you need to meet the needs. That's your neighbor, according to Jesus. That's the first and great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So, where do we go from here? We come back next week. And I'll tell you about Galewood. I'll tell you what I decided to do. And next week, we'll give you the criteria on how to invest, how to, how to measure an investment. I'll give you a hint this week. It starts in chapter 3 of wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above is, first of all, pure and peace-loving, considerate, submission, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. When you look at an economic opportunity, the first thing you ask is, not what's in it for me, 
what's in it for God, and what's in it for others. And then we'll pick up on that more next week. Let's pray. Lord, it's with grateful hearts that we recognize that we live in a country of great opportunity. We have opportunities for making friends and relationships, about being part of a church body, about having more than enough in most cases to meet our needs and to make, therefore, decisions that try to be rich toward God. We'd ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, make us way, people that measure our lives by Jesus and by eternity and recognize that our life is but a vapor and in the brief years that we have together, we want them to count for you. In Jesus' name, amen.